Take a Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Karen says, what's the title of the sermon? So I gave her two titles. Passing the Torch and Safeguarding the Treasure. Passing the Torch, Safeguarding the Treasure. In 2 Timothy we have a very moving document. We have the Apostle Paul having met Nero. Now, Nero is not on the top of the list for the selection committee. He is one nasty individual. He can move his thumb in a certain direction. He can just probably make eye contact and that would be the end of the Apostle Paul. Paul has met with him, and Paul is coming under the conviction that he has a limited, extremely limited time left on this earth. Though we can't really prove it, tradition tells us that Paul and Peter died under Nero's reign. But we can clearly see from 2 Timothy, if we read the whole document, that Paul realizes his departure is at hand. And he needs to pass something on before he dies. Can you imagine how the church members felt when this great leader of the church is in prison? On the Nero of all people? The fear that would go through the lives of these Christians... Somebody has to be blamed for Rome burning. Let's blame the Christians. And so there was a man called Timothy. Sometimes I call him Timid Timothy. I'm sure he was a fine pastor, and I'm sure he was a fine leader, but he seems to have been a sensitive soul. He didn't have the aggression maybe the zeal that somebody like the Apostle Paul had. He was more of a fearful type of individual. And from what I've already said, you might conclude, well, he had a right to be fearful. Well, if anybody had a right to be fearful, it was the Apostle Paul. Because soon, his head is going to go on the block, and he's going to be beheaded. But in this document... We don't find any fear on Paul's part. Rather, we find this enthusiasm, this joy, this strong connection that he has with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a a page reference for those of you who are still looking for 2 Timothy. And this is for the ones, the Bible's in the pews, We're going to go through chapter 1, and I believe it is on the screen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if I can deal with the first 14 verses, I'll be happy this morning. But my main focus is on verse 12. Let us pray. Gracious God, your word, no matter what version it comes in, is magnificent and it's wonderful, and it's life-changing. 
And I thank you, Lord, that uh, through the Holy Spirit, you, you made something so incredibly wonderful in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure that you did amazing things through Timothy as well. Help us to understand the importance of the treasure that we have and show us how to pass that on to the next generation is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, what does Jesus promise us? Life. I have come to give them life and to give it them abundantly that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son. This second Timothy is slightly different than first Timothy. It's, it's more personal. It's clearly addressed to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Who is on your prayer list? Do you have any young men, young ladies on your prayer list? Are you praying for these young people to be leaders in the church? Because some of the older, even though Paul is not old, his body is worn out. So he's old in some ways. But soon he will be taken off the scene. And others will have to carry on the work. People like Timothy, maybe people like you, and people like me, or somebody who's on our prayer list who we, we see potential in them as Paul saw tremendous potential in Timothy. Recalling your tears, I long to see you. Now that doesn't mean to say that Timothy, as sensitive as he was, is always crying. But remember that Paul had been with the elders at Ephesus. Maybe Timothy was there. And Paul had said, I'll probably see you no longer. And so they all got very, very, very emotional. And Paul remembered this uh, emotion of Timothy he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Notice the father is not mentioned. And so the commentators question that. Why not? Maybe he was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile, non-believing Gentile. But the Jewish mother and grandmother have a strong faith. Any mothers in the room? Any grandmothers in the room? Can you pass your strong faith on to somebody like Timothy? Now, of course, it's true that Timothy has to buy in to the Lord Jesus Christ, does he not? He has to make that faith his own, right? But it's very interesting that Paul singles out these two ladies as having a huge influence on Timothy. Maybe they read scripture to him. Maybe they helped him to memorize Bible text. Maybe they taught about how wonderful God is. We don't know. But it obviously had an impression on Timothy being a godly, dedicated young man. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So here we clearly see that Timothy, as every believer has gifts from God. 
Now, this morning, the selection committee process has started. Soon the nominating committee will be meeting. Every one of us in this church family should be thinking about how has God gifted me? We should always be thinking about that. Maybe not consciously thinking about it, but always be saying, Lord, how can you use me today? How can I be a Eunice? How can I be a Lois? How can you use me today? You've given gifts to me, and you expect a response. Let's face it, if we really understand what Jesus has done for us, we have to respond in a positive way. Don't you think so? Lord, here I am. Just take me as I am. Use me in any way you can. You can. And God, God will impress upon us certain gifts. Some people call them talents. Gifts that God gives via the Holy Spirit to each one of us. So Paul says here, fan it. Now if it gets a little too warm in here, I see some of you going like this. By the way, that's not why these were passed out this morning. But you're welcome to do that if it helps. It's always hard to know what the right temperature in here should be. We want some air circulating, don't we? Not hot air from the pastor, but, but air circulating here. So fan into flame the gift of God. What do we say? Use it or what? Lose it. If you don't exercise your body what happens to those muscles, Jake? Got it? Yeah, they turn to flab. So we need to exercise the gifts that God has given. And he has given at least one gift to all of you who have committed yourself to Jesus Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have more than that. And praise God. But whatever you have, one or two or three or ten, Use them for God's glory, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Now it's cluing us in a little bit to the person of Timothy here. He said positive things about him. You, the strong faith that your mother and grandmother had, you have too. But let's build on that. Talking now about timidity. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of what? Power of love, and of self-discipline. Don't tell me that trusting in Jesus doesn't change your life. If, if anything we should get from Christianity, it is a changed life. Yes, we certainly have a changed picture of God. That's probably one of the most important things that we get from the Bible. But one, one, when one commits to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the life changes. Some of you that have been brought up in a, in a religious household may not be able to quite see the change as someone like myself, but there is a change. The things you used to love, you no longer love. And the things that you still love that need to go, the Holy Spirit is working on in you to change those things. You're being molded and shaped into the lovely image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is, a changed life. Absolutely. I love to read stories of changed lives. In fact, I have one with me this morning. Shall I share it right now? 
I didn't really plan to do this, but in my background reading, I did find um, this neat little story. This is from uh, some of Ray Steadman, who is, uh, I think he's passed away now, but some of his material. He says, last week I received the most interesting letter from a prisoner in a penitentiary at Tracy. Tracy is not that far from, from uh, this area, Sacramento and so on. I will merely summarize it for you because it is a rather lengthy letter. This man wrote, I found myself sitting in the Sacramento, Sacramento County Jail. How many of you have been sitting in there? A three-time loser. I'm 66 years old, and I decided that after having lost out three times, my life was no longer worth living. Ever felt like that? You know, sometimes the devil can discourage us. It's like he gets his heel into us, and he just grinds us into the pit of discouragement. And as I passed by a trash bin, lying on top of the trash were some of your messages called discovery papers. So this is material that Ray Steadman had put together, probably passed out by church members, and they're in the trash bin. Wanting something to read, I picked them up. Little did I know what was going to happen to me when I read them. And then he added this line, one man's trash is another man's treasure. You've got it. He went on to write that he read the first message called How to Be Saved, taken from Romans 10. And when he finished reading it, he wrote, I decided that though I never thought I needed to be saved from anything in my life, I now, re I now realized I did. And that if I wanted God to accept me, I had better clean up my life and get it ready so he would be willing to take me. How do you respond to that? Hmm. Maybe he needs sharpening a little in his theology, huh? I determined I was going to do that. And then I read the second message, Who Chose Whom? From Romans 9. And when I finished that, I knew that if I worked the rest of my life, I could never make myself fit to be saved. Continuing, he wrote, lying on my bunk all alone, I woke in the middle of the night with the thoughts of that message on my mind. I seemed to sense a presence in the cell with me. Who's in the cell with him, I wonder? And suddenly I found myself breaking into tears. Sitting on my bunk, I opened my heart to Jesus, and I asked him to come in to deliver me and to save me. And that's what he did. I didn't feel anything different except that I slept all night long for the first time in years. In the morning, everything seemed different. The cell looked different. The prisoners around me looked different. The food I'd been complaining about tasted good. One of the other prisoners said to me, Pop, you look different. What's happened to you? And a little voice inside of me said, tell him. Ever had that little voice speak to you? Tell him. And so I did. There were 25 men in that cell, and 11 of them asked Jesus Christ into their lives. 
I've been reading your first book on Romans, and it says there is another book, so I want to get that one too. Will you send it to me? I will send you all the money I've got. It's only $5.45. But what is money compared with the truth that I am reading about? Isn't that a neat story? It's a true story. It's about changed lives. It's about trash becoming treasure. That's our message this morning. In a nutshell, I guess it is. Let's move on. Verse 8, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. He's mentioned timidity. Now he's mentioning being ashamed. And if you carry on reading to, say, verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Paul is alone in a Roman dungeon. And there is a man, it says in verse 16, called Onesiphorus, who sought him out and encouraged him. But Paul is like you and I. He needs friendship. He needs encouragement. He's not going to get that from the Roman soldiers, from the Roman system. He needs Christians. And so he's asking Timothy to come and not be ashamed. Now, we, don't, we have no reason to believe that Timothy is indeed ashamed. But here's a very strong reminder that many are, many of them in Asia are ashamed of Paul. To identify yourself with Paul is to identify yourself with Jesus Christ and Christianity. That is a very dangerous thing to do when Nero's trying to round people up and blame them for burning Rome down. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now, I don't know how much suffering is going on in your life for the gospel. But the scriptures teach all that live godly in Christ Jesus, anyone who is determined to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in the way they live in this world, as close as you can be to him, you're not going to be sinning all over the neighborhood. You're going to be keeping God's commandments. You're going to be nurturing the Holy Spirit in your life. Isn't that what Christianity is? At least that's part of it. And you're going to be proclaiming this wonderful plan of salvation. This good news, this gospel. Paul speaks so much about. It's about a person. Yes, it's a message, but it's a message about a person. It's a person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his high priestly ministry, and praise God, one day he will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Surely that is part of the gospel. All of that is part of good news of Jesus Christ. And those who live it and preach it and teach it and share it will suffer. It's not a popular message. And actually, some of the greatest periods in the church are the periods under persecution. What if in our request and prayers to God for church growth, he decides to do it via persecution? Would, would, would we be as insistent in our prayer life then?
Anyway, verse 8, for the gospel by the power of God. He says in Romans, this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Power of God to change people when they're three strikes out, when they're in the garbage, and to find treasure. The power of the gospel to change lives. Who has saved us, not who will save us. He could have said that. Not who is saving us, present tense, but someone who has saved us, past tense, present tense, all those tenses are used for this glorious concept of salvation. Saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done. Let's be clear about that. It's very easy to start taking some credit. After all, if I didn't take that Ray Steadman literature out of the trash, I wouldn't be saved now, so maybe we even take credit for being in the trash bin. It's very easy to do. Satan's method amongst Christians to do that. So not anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has purposes for the human race. Jesse is asking me to visit an individual who I have spoke with on the phone, and that's one of the things I'll be trying to do. So be praying for me Tuesday afternoon that I'll be trying to show this individual a plan and a purpose for life. Does God have a plan and purpose for all of us? Are you discovering what that is? You'll never be happy until you feel that you're part of the plan and the purpose of God and that He's actively working in your life. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Hey, it was, it was operative before you and I were even around. How dare we take credit in any way, shape, or form. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Why should Paul worry about death? It has been destroyed in Christ Jesus and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is a great definition of the gospel. There's other really good ones in the Bible in, in Ephesians 2 and, and Romans 1. This is a good one too, though, through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Now, you and I may not claim to be an apostle, but there must be something of the teaching ministry going on in our lives. You may not be ready to to teach a class. Thank you, Gene, for teaching my class. How did it go? They didn't throw any rotten tomatoes at you? Not yet? Okay, praise God for that. And Uriel for preaching for me? Did you have a good time, Uriel? <laughs> That's not, not what I asked. Did you have a good time? Oh, well, you're so nervous, you, you can't even use those words. God blessed you. I know God, I know God blessed you. But there must be something of this teaching aspect coming in when we share in the gospel. And this is why I'm suffering as I am. That's why I'm suffering as I am, yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. This is my favorite verse here. I know. It's not if, but, so, maybe. I know. I'm absolutely sure. Yeah, but Paul, they're going to chop your head. Are you still sure? I actually have a sermon. I'm not sure if I preached it here yet. Are you sure or sure I'm sure or something like that? Question mark. How sure are you? 
of this relationship with God. He says, that's why I'm suffering as I am. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And as you, as you probably understand, this word knowing is a very personal term. Adam knew Eve. It's intimacy. Used all the way through Scripture. Paul says in another place in Philippians, I believe it is, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. He certainly sounds confident here, don't you think so? Verse 12. Read it with me, the whole text. Verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. So we see something of the why of Paul's suffering. If he would have kept his mouth shut, if he would have um, done a little bit of uh, incense, I don't know exactly how, how to phrase that, uh, in, in worship to the, to the emperor, if he would have said Nero is a good guy, whatever, they'd let him go. But he, that's not what he's called to. That's not what you're called to. You're called to suffering. You're called to proclamation. You're called to, to treasure, to guard this precious thing that God has given us in the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to share in that suffering. Is he a masochist or something? No. This is real Christianity, what we're talking about. Not the pseudo-Christianity that you see in North America and many parts of the world. Not the sugar-coated, soft stuff. Not the itching ears stuff. This is real Christian living here. I know whom I believed. I'm going to continue in that belief right to the very last moment. He knew Christ and Christ knew him. Christ saved him from the penalty of sin. Think of the terrible things that Paul did before he was a Christian. This religious bigot rounding the Christians up, having them imprisoned and executed. Think of all of the families that were destroyed through that kind of ministry. But once he was converted, once he met Christ on that Damascus road, Jesus says, I will show you what he must suffer for me. So Christ has saved him from the penalty, from the power, and from the pollution of sin. And he wants to do the same with us. And then it says in verse 12, I am convinced that he is able. We actually have a song. He's able. He's able. I know he's able. What's the rest of it? I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Seems to fit in with this statement here. I am convinced. I am persuaded. I am absolutely sure. In Romans 8.38, who shall separate us from the love of God? And then he lists all of the possible 
imaginary things that people could make up, life, death, pain, suffering, disease, whatever it might be, nothing, he concludes, can separate us from the, God, from the love of God. The work that God has begun within you, what will he do? He will finish it. And you and I have to understand the process that's going on and what we are being invited into when we become Christians and realize that no matter how tough it gets, no matter if it's a maritime prison, that's what tradition tells us is the place in Rome that you can visit today where he, he was in prison, where you are cold, bring the warm robe, Timothy, where you don't have your, your scripture and your documents to pour over. You have lots and lots of time on your hands. Imagine how hard that must have been for such an active person like the Apostle Paul. But no matter how tough the situation is, somehow, someway, God's kingdom is going to be advanced. And you can rest in that. Though, of course, you are concerned, as a great leader in the church like Paul, that there is someone or a group of people ready to pass the torch to. So that's also a very important aspect of this passage here this morning. And then we need to think of the church here at Anderson with some of the pillars of the church who have passed away recently. Who will carry on the work? Who can we pass this glorious um, message and experience of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who can we pass that on to? It's not just a mechanical thing. It's, it's something which you have to not just understand the philosophy, but have the experience that Paul had. And he says here, I'm convinced that he is able, and God is certainly able. In fact, that's, that, that could be a good title for understanding the whole Bible, God's able. Because really what you see in the Bible is God at work. A man and the devil will try and thwart the work of God, but somehow, some way, even when it seems that the church is going to die, God will bring revival, God will find a way of moving the work forward. So God is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him. Now, the commentators differ here. What is really being entrusted? To guard my deposit, some translations, to guard the good deposit. Uh, the children's story this morning, did, did you see how that kind of fitted in? At least it did in my head. Uh, hope it, hopefully it does in your heads too, that you have something that's precious. Now, what is precious? Is the truth precious? It really is. I mean, that's really how, I, how the Holy Spirit reached me, this quest for truth. What really is the truth? How do you know the truth? When there's all these religions out there and there's all these philosophies, how do you know which is the right way? Is, is that worth treasuring? Is it worth guarding? Absolutely. This, this understanding of how people can get right with God, not just the broader picture of the truth like the whole Bible gives us, but the more narrower picture where a person can be in the trash bin 
and maybe five minutes or an hour or a day later, they're in Christ. Is that worth treasuring? That's how I think of the gospel, how God can bring people into a right relationship with himself. Through no works at all. Somehow, someway, the gift of faith is expressed towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're in. And once you're in, that Spirit of God just continues working on you until, he says, uh, after talking about to God what I have entrusted to him, against that day, the end of verse 12. To God what I have entrusted to him for that day. What day is that? Is it May 21, Harold Camping's day? Or, if that one doesn't work, well, let's pull another one out of our pocket and push it into October. And we'll have a secret rapture in October. Isn't it much better to say, I was wrong. And I'm sorry for messing so many lives up. You know that people have committed suicide over crazy things like this? It's not a small thing when any of us proclaim the day and the hour of the coming of Jesus Christ and do something explicitly that Scripture and the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Scripture tells us not to do. It's not a small thing. At least the minimum we can do is apologize and say I was wrong and I'm sorry for bringing this shame upon the Christian religion. No, that day is the day of the Lord. That day is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day is a day and an hour that nobody knows. The Father knows, but we don't know on planet Earth, and God in His wisdom has not told us and probably will not tell us. It's not necessary for us to know the day and the hour and the timing. It is important for us to know that there will be a day of reckoning. I don't want Hitler to get off scot-free. I was reading about Stalin the other day. Whoa, make your hair stand on end. He was like ten Hitlers rolled into one. Think, Think it through, folks. The Christian message makes a lot of sense. It has a beginning and it has an end. God is at work in the whole process. And this second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for us who are believers, it's a day of redemption. It's almost like finishing the work of salvation. God will give us the gift of immortality. Didn't he mention that earlier in the passage when he talked about the gospel? Verse 10 brings destroys death, and has brought life and immortality to life. God will give us a body like his own glorious body. Paul had a a reasonably young body, or he was probably in his 50s or early 60s when he died. I'm not sure if we know exactly how old he was, but still relatively young, but was like an old man because he had worked and been suffered and beaten up and persecuted so much. And he will get a redeemed, glorious body in the prime of life. And so will you, and so will I. One of you earlier this morning was saying to me, 
my body's breaking down. Tell me about it. I was sick the whole time I was in South Carolina. And even if your mind is really, really active right to the end, something's going to break down, right? The mind goes, the body goes. But for the Christian, it is as nothing. Because God brings life and immortality on that day. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of redemption for God's people. We need to wrap up. I'd just like to read verses 13 and 14 and then close. And what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. I tell you something, I go over the sound words of the Apostle Paul. I read carefully. I try to read carefully and apply to my life what he says because what he says is as inspired as anything you're going to find in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Genesis, or the whole of Scripture. Now, when this was written, they didn't have a New Testament. The inspired word for them was what we call the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. But we can clearly see here that Paul's words, Paul's understanding of truth is something to be preserved. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. God the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He will guard you. And you must guard something too. This is a relationship. We're in it together. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It makes it sound as though we do everything, right? But it is God who works in you. Praise God, He's working in you and He's living in you via the Holy Spirit to will and to do of His good pleasure. I'm absolutely amazed what God can do through someone like Paul. And I'm amazed what He probably did through Timothy and what He can do through you and what He can do through me. Let's not limit Him in any way, shape, or form. Let's not mold God into some kind of distorted image. But let God be God. And let Him be a big God in your life. And when those phone calls come from the nominating committee, <laughs> listen to the voice of God. Hey, not everything you're asked to do, you should do. It's much better if you're preemptive. And you let the leadership know where God wants you to do ministry in his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the one altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us in this room not just believes in you in, in an intellectual way, when we see all the doctrines fitting together and all the arguments seem to make sense, but may we know you, Lord, in an experiential way. May we know the deep love of God in our soul. And Lord, may we not treat lightly this precious gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
but may we get it out of this building and share it with those who will listen, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.